1 Corinthians 2, look at verse number 6. It says, How be it we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world, uh, uh, before the world unto our glory. And uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together around your word with uh, these dear people here. And Father, as we uh, open up the word of God, I pray that you'd use the Holy Spirit of God to, to help us understand, to help us see uh, what this mystery is all about, and uh, that we'd uh, walk away challenged and helped for our time together today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Title of the message this morning is I Know a Secret. I Know a Secret. We can get the, we can get the lyrics off there. there. Um, you can just, I don't have a title for this one. You can just take that off. That's fine. But uh, I have a title. I just don't have a screen. Sorry. But um, I know a secret. And uh, Paul is going to express some things to this church, uh, a mystery as he's going to talk about. We're going to actually finish up this chapter this morning. But, um, but if you recall, the church at Corinth, we've kind of given some background in where this church is, where they've been, what they're dealing with, several divisions. Uh, this was a fractured church. They had a lot of um, um, uh, divisions around weird things, divisions around personalities, Divisions around social economic status, divisions around all kinds of areas of pride, spiritual gifts, uh, just a lot of different things that they were getting at. And, and the reason was they were modeling their thinking after the world. In Corinth, Corinth was a place about um, uh, position, uh, uh, prestige. Uh, Corinth would have been, if it was modern day today, it would have been about um, uh, uh, celebrities. It would have been about, you know, American Idol, Corinth Idol, right? It would have been about the who's who and, uh, and different classes and, and things. And what's interesting about Corinth was it was a great place of opportunity. Uh, one in five in the Roman Empire were slaves in those days, and if you had the opportunity to purchase your freedom or work off your freedom, Corinth was a great place to start over. You could go there and pull yourself up from your bootstrap, so to speak, and make something of yourself. Many times you'd maybe uh, hit yourself on with, uh, with someone that had a name, had notoriety, and, and you might uh, do some name dropping, and, and it was a place of wisdom. It was a place of worldly wisdom, of philosophy. The greatest orators and philosophers would come together, and they'd have the great speeches. We looked at it a little bit last week how, how um, one of the things that'd be really impressive is not that you necessarily could defend a position, but that you could defend any position, even if it's wrong. <laughs> that was impressive to them, okay? And, uh, and so you'd, you'd follow the news source that you like to follow. You'd follow the political commentator that was aligned with you. And everyone kind of had their little, uh, their little ways of doing it. You know, uh, uh, I know we can't relate to anything like that, but, uh, but that's how it was in, the, in, the, in Corinth in those days. And so Paul's coming to this church, and if you, if you recall last week, we, 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 we talked about kind of hitting reset, right? They were getting so bogged down with this issue and this issue and this thing and philosophy and wisdom and all these things. And it's kind of like Paul said, hold on, guys, let's... Let's clean the, the slate. Let's hit reset and come back to the simplicity of Christ. The Bible talks about uh, uh, let no man beguile you from the simplicity that is in Christ. We, we will follow all these different wisdoms and philosophies and, and all these things. So he says, when I came to you, I came not with, uh, with uh, in, in fact, it says there in verse number one, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellence, uh, excellency of speech 
or of wisdom. That's what they would expect. In fact, if you were going to go to Corinth, that's what you wanted to make sure you had down. Have your speech well polished. Have your wisdom fact-checked. <laughs> have all the stuff ready to go. And he says, I didn't come that way declaring to you the testimony of the Lord. And he said, and in fact, he even went on, I determined to know, to, uh, not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, remember Paul and his pedigree? Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was very well studied. He was uh, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He stayed at the feet of Gamaliel. I mean, he would have been one of the top Sanhedrin one day. <clears throat> he, was, he was an up and coming star in the Jewish tradition. Right, And so there's a lot of things he could have gone to. He could have been, you know, just, just kind of been so eloquent with his handling of the Old Testament. And he could have wowed them with his handle on the, on the Hebrew and, uh, you know, various things. But you know what he said? He said, I came to you as ignorant as I could be, right? Knowing nothing, save Jesus Christ. And then say, well, what about this theory over here? Jesus Christ died for your sins. Well, what about this over here? You know, no, it's simple. He died for your sins. Jesus, the Son of God, died for your sins, rose again the third day. Well, I don't know, but what about what this philosopher said? Jesus Christ died for your sins. The Son of God died for your sins, rose again the third day. Well, I don't know, but I, he came knowing nothing. He, kind of, he probably could have rebuttaled and, and uh, debunked all kinds of objections. And, and he said, guys, I came knowing nothing. The simplicity of Christ and, and what's happened. You guys have bought in. You've become more like the Corinth that is around you than the Christ that is within you. What does Corinth do? Corinth loves to debate. What does Corinth do? They love wisdom, right? Remember, it was a mixture of Jew and Gentile church. And by Gentile, we mean very specifically uh, the, 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 the Greek society, the Jews and the Greeks. And, uh, and what, was the, what was so, I mean, this was a very Greek area there. They had all the, all the gods there. Uh, they had different temples. We, we looked at that a little bit the first week. And, uh, and so this place, they would have their own version of the Olympics there, uh, kind of a mini, mini version of the Olympics there, the, the, the Isthmus uh, Games is what they called it. And it would happen the year after and the year before the Olympics. So as the Olympics would come around every four years, they would have their Isthmus Games uh, on every other year. And, uh, and they would come together, and, and it was to the point where whoever would win those games were like uh, mini-gods. And so they'd worship them. And uh, they would worship just about anything they could find to worship, really. It's kind of how crazy it got. But uh, that was the, 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 the Corinthian culture. What had happened is that too much of that started creeping into the church. They had their, their value systems. They had their things that they were looking at. So, so the church at Corinth wasn't really getting it. Again, they were acting more like the Corinth around them than the Christ that was in them. So Paul had been challenging them not to act like how they were, but to act like how you are. So what was his emphasis? His emphasis was, hey, in Christ you're saved. In Christ, you're justified. In Christ, you're sanctified. In Christ, you're a new creature. And, and he's kind of focusing in on these ideas that, that it's got to be rooted in who God made you to be. Because here they were, they were nobodies. Uh, uh, they, were, they were, you know, bootstrap Christianity, so to speak, pulling themselves up. And they were seeing the value system of the world. Uh, what does the vices in the world say? Well, you know you've really arrived when you're driving a BMW. Right? That's the value system, right? And, uh, you know, you, you go in debt, spend all this money to impress someone you'll never meet, right, at, at a red light. You know, that's what Dave Ramsey talks about. Uh, you know, uh, who cares? You know, and, and we look at these things, and these are the things we're chasing after, and the things that, you know, now, now is when I know I'll arri I've arrived. Uh, one of the, I can't remember who it was, but one of the famous uh, 
super rich was asked, you know, how do you know when you've made enough money? And he says, he says, when I've made just one more dollar. But then, you know, that's not, because then it's one more dollar after that. It's one more dollar. And so, so, so this is kind of the value systems, and this is kind of the, the things. And so it's crept into this church. And so he's been challenging them. Understand something. Your value is not in what people say about you. Your value is not about your social media account. Your value is not about all these various things that we may look at and say, look how many followers I have. Look at how, how big my name is. Look at how many people know me and all this. He says, no, no, no. God has placed great value on you when he saved you. And it's a completely different measuring system. It's a completely different matrix. When he looks upon you, he says, I chose you. I saved you. I've sanctified you. I have a purpose, a set-apart plan and purpose for you specifically. You are of great value to God. He said, act like how you are, not how you were. You ever tell your children, act your age? This is what Paul was telling them. Except not act your age, act who you are. You're a child of God. Quit acting, you know, like a two-year-old. <laughs> act like who you are. And so that's what Paul's challenge is with them. And so you know, so when he went through, he says, when I came, I determined to know nothing. He pre had his mind made up to not know anything. He came in weakness. He came in demonstration of the spirit and power. His weakness was he had physical ailments. He was by himself. He didn't have a team with him like at other places. And, uh, and he came to, the, to, to, to a very, a place that just had, would have had incredible opposition to the gospel. And he, and, he, and he basically explains to them that it's very simple and boiling it down here. That's where we get our context of verse number six where he starts this off with, how be it? Uh, how be it is like another way of saying, nevertheless. Or, or even with, with that said, he said, we speak wisdom. So in other words, he says, we talked about the simplicity of the gospel. I came knowing nothing. And he, and he says this, how be it? We, we speak wisdom. We are going to speak of wisdom. But notice what it says there. We speak wisdom among them that are, what's that word? Perfect. Now, in the King James Bible, what does perfect mean? Anybody know? Mature, right? Sometimes we look at perfect and it's like, I thought there were no perfect Christians. And he's talking about this only for the perfect ones. Oh, no. Uh, what's that mean for me? No, perfection is the idea of complete or mature. He's talking about those mature Christians. Now, we're going to see a, a, a bit more next week when we get into chapter 3. He's going to really uh, zero in on this idea of being a carnal Christian. But right now he says, the deeper things, the wisdom that you guys so seek after, who is it for? It's for those that are perfect or mature. And then he specifies what this wisdom is. He says, yet not the wisdom of the world. That's what they were thinking of. And Paul says, all right, we're going to speak wisdom. How be it? We speak wisdom. They're like, yes, finally. We're going to get to some wisdom, right? Because what's that going to do for them? Uh, I'll be somebody when I've got some wisdom. I'll be somebody once I have a few letters after my name. And that's kind of what they're what they after. So he says, we're going to speak wisdom, but not the wisdom of this world. And it's kind of like, well, what are you talking about? Notice what it says. Uh, not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. He, you know, what he's saying is, is, is the wisdom of the world and all the princes, all those top leaders, all these people in the world, you know, the princes, the, the wisdom that they would have ascribed to as world leaders. By the way, when you think about these worldly leaders, in their day, in their era, that would have been the embodiment of the wisdom of the day. These were the top leaders. These were the defining uh, factors, if you would, of what the thought process was in those days. Who were these people? They were powerful people. 
Uh, they, you know, these were world leaders of our past. But uh, you, know, you know what Paul's saying here? They're dead and gone. What does he say? He says they were brought to naught. What does that mean? Most of them have been forgotten. How many in this room, now this is probably going to ruin my illustration, how many in this room can name all the presidents, all the 45 presidents? Or 46, I don't know if I want to count. Uh, <laughs> definitely the 45 presidents. Uh, who, who in this room can name all the presidents that we've had in America? Some of you smarty pants kids, I bet. <sighs> I knew there'd be one. <laughs> Only last names, okay. Well, I can't even do that, okay? Um, they're, they're forgotten about. Leaders of the greatest nation in their day. Forgotten about. You know, how about this? What if I were to say, give me, give me five facts about Xerxes? Well, who's Xerxes? He's spoken of in, in the book of Esther. He was, he had the title, the king of kings. That's a significant leader. You should be able to tell me a few things about Xerxes. What, what if I were to say to you, uh, uh, give me some facts about Nebuchadnezzar? He was a world leader. Yes, he's spoken of in the Bible. Let's step outside of the ones the Bible references. How about, how about uh, 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 Tiglath-Pelezer III? Who? He was the most powerful man in the world at the latter part of the Persian Empire. How come we don't know anything about him? These guys were viewed as gods. I'll tell you why we don't know anything about them, because God has brought them to nothing. They had their moment in history, and now they're gone. Paul is saying these people we look up to, these people that we look to, the world leaders, the, the princes of this world, and all their wisdom, they're brought to nothing. God's brought them to nothing, and they had it all, and, they, and now they're nothing. They're forgotten. They're, they're just in a history book. Hey, you can, and by the way, you can go look these up. We live in a wonderful day. Uh, Paul did not have Wikipedia. He actually had to do some work to study Okay, you know what I can do? I'll come across the name. Who's this guy? All of a sudden, I've got his whole lineage and all these cross-references and all this stuff. I'm like, and all of a sudden, you just think, wow, this guy really knows his Bible. No, I know how to use a computer. And I've learned who these people are, and I'm cross-referencing all these things. And, and uh, we have wonderful tools at our disposal. By the way, we should have a higher expectation, too, of study and, uh, and preparation. And, and uh, we should be able to know our Bibles. There's no reason today for believers not to know their Bibles. <clears throat> But Paul didn't have all this stuff like we have. But you can go and look up these guys. Who are these guys? He had to find actual books. He had to find encyclopedias and, and those things. <coughs> Excuse me. That we have historical records and, and whatnot. But he's saying God brought them to nothing. So, so verse number seven. But we speak the wisdom of God. What's he contrasting? But is a, is a compare and contrast word, right? He's, he's contrasting the wisdom of the world, the wisdom these princes have been built upon, which are now nothing, and he says, we speak the wisdom of God. Get this now, in a mystery. Now, that's a weird statement. In a mystery. There's a few times where Paul speaks of a mystery in the New Testament. And when we see the word mystery, the idea of a mystery is something that was previously unknown, something that's previously concealed, that is now being brought to light. We have a few things where he talks about a mystery. He talks about the church age, this age of grace. In Ephesians and Colossians, he talks about this mystery age. Why? Because the prophets did not see it coming. They didn't prophesy the day you and I live in today. Uh, uh, he talks about the rapture being a mystery. Why? Because the prophets didn't talk about it. In fact, I'm going to go out on a limb. The gospels don't talk about it. We can debate that later if you'd like. But Paul's the first one to bring that to light. 
And, uh, and so here he says this, what are we doing with, these, with this wisdom of God? This wisdom of God is a mystery, even the hidden wisdom. So there he's reiterating this mystery. It's a hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. So this was a part of God's plan from the very beginning, yet it was concealed somehow. Verse 8, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. What, amazing, what an amazing statement. You know what he's saying? If, if the princes of this world, the leaders in this world would have understand God's plan, would have understand all this, they would not have crucified Jesus Christ. If, if Pilate understood these things, if Caiaphas understood these things, if these different leaders, if, if the, the leaders of days gone by and, and those kings that I even referenced, uh, if, if, if they all understood this, then by the time Christ came, they would not have crucified the Lord. Why? Well, Jesus said it this way in John's gospel, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which do testify of me. You know what the Bible tells us? The scriptures, the Old Testament writings testified the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a fascinating statement. We're going through the book of Esther right now in Sunday school, and I don't, I don't see Jesus Christ mentioned in Esther. Yet if it's scripture, it says the scriptures testify of Jesus. It's in there. Book of Ruth, I don't remember seeing Jesus in there, yet, yet he's in there. In fact, every, every, uh, you really see Jesus in every book of the Bible on through. We might call it the crimson thread through the scriptures. And, and, and well, why? Why is Jesus all in there? Because it is his story. That's what history is. That's what the message of the Bible is. It's the story of Jesus Christ, the story of God's plan, the story of God redeeming his purposes unto himself, starting with the creation of man and the fall of man and the redemption of man and the culmination of all things uh, in the end. And, and, and this is it's the whole Bible. They speak of Christ. It's his story. What Paul is saying is, I'm not, uh, uh, I am going to preach wisdom, but I'm not going to preach wisdom to those who can't handle it. Paul had said it, Jesus even said it, that there's more things I want to share with you, but you're not ready yet. You know what was he saying? You're not mature enough. You don't want to give steak to a baby. They're not ready for it. And that's what would happen with these carnal Christians. They would choke if he gave them this wisdom that he wants to give them. He said, we're going to preach other things, but you're going to have to grow up a little bit. You're not quite ready for this thing. So he, so. So here's, here's the message this morning. I know a secret that you don't know. I know a secret that you don't know. There's this mystery. There's this wisdom of God, a mystery that's a hidden wisdom that apparently God had already ordained and they, they had missed this thing. Uh, look at verse number 8. Well, again, which none of the princes of this world knew, for if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If the people of this world were so smart... How do they not recognize God's redemptive plan? That's what Paul's saying. If they were so smart, if they had such great wisdom, how is it they're missing this simple truth? By the way, you know, you know what the problem with a lot of people is? It's too simple. It's too simple. Right? Uh, I remember um, uh, years ago, a documentary came out called Expelled. And it's a documentary um, uh, kind of exposing that any scientist or, or professor that even, uh, that even suggests that there might be a, a, a evidence pointing to an intelligent designer 
gets blacklisted and things. It's really an issue of creation and evolution. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's a good little documentary. In there, one of the professors who is a proponent of evolution and very, very much against creation, he said this. He said, can you think of any theory that is more boring? I'm thinking, you're going to decide truth based on how exciting it is? He said, can you think of anything more boring than the creation theory? I was like, well, so that, that's where the bar is now. How exciting can it be? But isn't that the world we live in, though? That's, how, many, how, much, how, much light, how many lights can we put on? How much, how much uh, pizzazz can we put on this thing? And, and, uh, and unfortunately, church has kind of followed that model of today of, of let's see how exciting we can make it. Let's see how. Now, I, I'm not one that thinks church should be super boring. You can't get me to stand right here during a whole service, okay? I got to just start wandering, all right? Back in the day when they had those pulpits that you kind of stand inside, that would have driven me crazy. I would have been standing on top of the thing, okay? But... <laughs> But, uh, but, but I'm not saying it's supposed to be dead, but, but unfortunately we put too much into this thing of are we entertained? Are we, uh, you know, have you grabbed my, and, and the more entertaining it can be, the better it is. All you got to do is analyze the largest churches in America and what are you going to find? The entertainment factor. And it may not necessarily be in the performance of the musicians. It might even be in the performance of the pastor that is entertaining. Oh, he's just an eloquent speaker. Well, the Bible speaks to that, right? They'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And so anyways, um, I'm digressing really quickly. Um, but, uh, but, but, you know, if the world's so smart, how are they missing this truth is the, is the, is the concept. Uh, uh, and then he comes to verse number nine, and he's quoting Isaiah. Um, he's quoting Isaiah 52, uh, 15, and 64, 4. It kind of puts the two together. And here's what he says. But as it is written... I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Now, as much as you want to make that mean something about heaven, it does not. I thought that was about heaven. Now, is it true that, that we can't even fathom what heaven's going to be like? I have not seen, ear heard, or in the heart of man. Uh, man, the things God's got prepared for us, it's amazing. No, actually, he's laying out that this passage is fulfilled now. In fact, in the Old Testament, when it was quoted in Isaiah, he was saying that I had not seen, ear heard, nor, nor into the heart of man the things God has prepared for them, and, and all this. And, he's, and he, what he's basically saying is you guys aren't even going to be able to comprehend this thing. It's going to be a mystery, but it's going to be fulfilled in Christ. It's going to be revealed when Messiah comes. It's going to be revealed uh, when, when God had, had, had fully extended his grace. And, um, and uh, you know, what the Bible uh, teaches that the Old Testament, here's the idea, they weren't getting it. They didn't get it. In fact, here's how I know they weren't getting it. Remember by the time Jesus comes to the scene, they start asking all kinds of questions. Here's one of the popular questions. What can a man do to inherit eternal life? These were like religious leaders. These were like the Pharisees, the ones that taught the Bible. And they couldn't answer that most basic question. You know what that tells me? It was a mystery. It was hidden from them. They didn't understand it. And, uh, and uh, you know, they'd come to him with some of these, these basic questions. What's the greatest law? Well, it's summed up in these two, right? And uh, uh, they'd come to him, but, but they, they weren't getting it. So Paul's quoting scripture, and he's basically saying, I know a secret, guys, and it's been revealed to us. You say, what do you mean? Look at verse number 10. People always quote verse 9, by the way, and they make it about heaven, and they completely ignore verse 10. 
Verse 9 again, uh, I had not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed it unto them, or excuse me, uh, them unto us by his spirit. In other words, whatever this thing is, God has revealed it to us. So we always say, oh, God has not even shown the, the, you know, we have no idea. No, no, it says God has shown it. So that means whatever this thing is, it's been revealed. Are we okay? Or following just kind of line by line, going through the text? God has revealed. So what is this thing that God has revealed to us? God has given to us a secret. He says, but God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. And the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So it's been revealed to us. The secret is now among believers. So they didn't get something. You know, and Isaiah prophesied this. I have not seen, you have heard, neither entered in the heart of man had not been revealed. Paul brings that prophecy to light and says, it has now been revealed to us. To who? To believers. So what is the secret? What is this thing? Um, that's when we start connecting the dots. Oh, Jesus, that's what that Passover lamb was all about. Oh, oh, Jesus, that's what, that's what Isaiah 53 was about. Oh, oh, Jesus, this, the, the Messiah has come. That's what, and they start connecting all these dots, and, and now it has been revealed. Jesus is the fruition of all this stuff. And, and, and as they were looking and they were waiting, and, and, uh, and behold, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. What's the sign? The Jews want a sign. They're looking for a sign. Here's the sign. A virgin will conceive and bear a son. You should call his name Jesus, right? Uh, th th that's the sign. There's going to be a virgin birth. That was the Messiah. That's Jesus. And they start connecting these dots, all these prophecies pointing to Jesus. And, and what is it? This mystery is unfolding, and this thing has now been revealed to us. So what is this thing that I have not seen, here, heard, nor into the heart of man, the things God prepared for them? Salvation, folks. Salvation was such a mystery. Remember David's prayer in Psalm 51? He said this statement. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Does a Christian in the New Testament ever need to pray that prayer? We have a promise. Right? In Hebrews, I will never, what? I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I don't have to pray for God to keep his promise. God's going to keep his promise. So what, what was David praying about? Did David have Hebrews? No. He, in the Old Testament, in, the, in, the, in that dispensation, the Spirit of God were to come upon somebody and would leave somebody. But, but by the time we get to the New Testament, uh, the Holy Spirit now indwells the believer. We've been sealed with this Holy Spirit of promise. And so, 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 so we've been given these wonderful truths, and he said, what, what is this thing? They couldn't comprehend it. They couldn't grasp this idea of a man being so fully righteous before God. In fact, that's what Job said. Can a man be righteous with God? So what did Jesus allow? Jesus truly was that bridge between God and man. He bridged that gap, allowing God, to, or man, to experience something that was so far beyond comprehension. I had not seen, neither ear heard, nor entered into the heart of the man, the thing that God had prepared for them to love him. And all of a sudden I realized this, I have a right standing with God. I can come boldly to the throne of grace. I have a Father in heaven who hears me. So intimately I can cry, Abba, Father. I am joined to heirs with Jesus Christ. And I start, I start seeing all this, that me, a Gentile dog, could come into this position 
before the the God of glory, that He made that way. The mystery in Christ, the mystery is Christ, rather, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery, the mystery of this day. And so, I'm going to share quickly with you just six statements. Now, I want you to pay attention because they each build on another, all right? I didn't say I have six points because that'll make you worry. I have six statements and we'll be done. First of all, God revealed to us the truth that has previously been hidden. See, if you're a child of God, knowing Christ is your Savior, you know something most of the world doesn't know. You know something most of the world doesn't know, that a man can be righteous with God. Not because of his own goodness, not because of his own merit, but because of what Jesus did on your behalf. Man can be right with God. That's amazing. That's an amazing truth. And, and, it, and, it, and it should be such a humbling truth, the fact that, that you, know, uh, you know, untold millions are still wandering in darkness. Why am I so privileged to have this truth? Folks, that's not a pride thing. That's a humility thing. Why me, God? And, and who can I tell? Who can I share with this? Because, because this message has to go out. That is the glory of God. Here it is, my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. God has revealed His truth to us that the greatest powers and the minds in this world have totally missed. It went right over their head. Pilate, what is truth? Cephas, uh, Caiaphas, rather. Uh, all of the old, many of the Old Testament saints. In fact, it says this in 1 Peter 1, verse 11, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister. Speaking of those Old Testament saints, they didn't get this, but their writings ministered to us because we see the full picture now uh, ministering these things. Uh, which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Even the angels want to look into these things. But it talks about the Old Testament saints. It was given to them, though they didn't really understand it. It was really given to them for us. We have this full picture now. The things written aforetime were written for our learning and admonition that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. When I'm reading all these Old Testament stories, when I'm reading history, God says this is to encourage you. This is to help you along. When I'm reading David, when I'm reading Ezekiel, you say, what's encouraging in Ezekiel? (laughs) It's in there, okay. Um, When I'm reading these things, God says, these are some some illustrations and some powerful truths for you to apply in your life, for you to see God at work in your life, for you to see the glory of God in your life. They didn't even know what they were saying as they were writing down some of these things in the Old Testament. I come across some of these passages that are such a glimpse of these New Testament truths, and, and you're like, wow, he really had some insight. He really had some understanding. Did he really even know what he was writing there? I mean, I, I've wondered that several times. You know, they're under inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, and we believe these are God's words, amen? But as the human authors penning these sometimes, I, I have to ask this question. Did they understand? I mean, I wonder if they had a pupil or a, or a disciple under them that said, uh, uh, what did you mean by that? I don't know. God told me to write it down. <laughs> I mean, this is, when I read it, I'm like, this is some, some very insightful stuff that really doesn't come to light until maybe Paul expounds on it. Or, or you know, something, uh, it, it, we have a little bit more revelation. But you and I are in such a prime position because God has told us this secret. I know a secret. 
And God wants us to know this secret. By the way, he doesn't want us to keep it a secret. This is a secret God wants us to share. By the way, that makes us more accountable because of our position, the truth that we have. We can look through the accurate lens of the Word of God and of history and, and, uh, and, and you know, we who know Christ. We see, we understand the Scriptures are true. And, and, and when we look at that, that's the lens we view these things. By the way, we look at, we look at uh, archaeological findings. We look at all these evidences that, that the evolutionists say, look at this, this proves this old earth. And they're like, no, it doesn't, you knucklehead. This proves a young earth. Look what the Bible says. It matches right up. We have an accurate lens. Look at verse number 10 again, the last part. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is trying to figure things out. The word search means to, to penetrate or, or, uh, uh, or to know the, the deepest parts of something. So it's searching. It's, it, it understands the deepest parts. We know God exists in three persons, right? The, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, I believe the Bible very explicitly teaches that, right? Of course, you're not going to find the word Trinity in the Bible, but we very much see this doctrine. And, and uh, the Spirit of God is part of the Godhead, which reveals to us truth. So how do we know truth? It says here, by the Spirit. Now, I want to say this and make sure you understand me. It's not exclusively by the Spirit. The Spirit has some things to work with. All right? So be careful. You know, I'm just waiting for the Spirit to guide me. No, God's given us some instruction. God's given us some things to follow. But how do we know truth? By the Spirit. How does the Spirit reveal truth? To reveal something, I have to go and get it first, right? If I was going to give you a glass of milk, I got to go get the milk first, right? So the Holy Spirit has to give us something that he already has. That's something that's there, right? In, uh, in verse number 10, the Spirit of God knows the deep things of God. And uh, this is going to build. Verse number 11, he gives an illustration. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? In, in other words... Who knows what you are thinking? You do. What other man knows what you are thinking? What other man knows what you are thinking? The only way I could know what you are thinking is if you tell me what you are thinking. I know this is really deep. Okay, this is really deep stuff, and that's why you're overthinking it. The only way I can know what's in your mind is if you tell me what you're thinking. So notice what it says there. What man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him. So, so he has to share what's in him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. So it's telling us the spirit of God knows some things about the mind of God. What is in God? What are those deep things of God? Verse number 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. So the Spirit of God knows the very thoughts of God. You and I are privy to the thoughts of God. Think about that. And, and uh, you know, uh, you, you and I, we have a Bible. We know what the Bible says. And by the way, the Bible is the revealed mind of God. I saw this article this week. It was bogus. And it said this, that we are creating idolatry in worshiping our Bibles. Do you know anything about God apart from this book? The Bible tells us we can learn a couple things about God, but it's very limited. What do we learn about God? We can learn some things about God from nature. 
But here's what we learn about God, his eternal power and Godhead. So that those that deny are without excuse. That's about as far as it goes. Anything else you can think about God is something you can't with your own imagination apart from this book. Additionally, the second part of the Godhead identifies himself as the Word. Jesus Christ is the Word. How do he reveal himself to us? He wrote it down in a book for you and me. Are we okay? We call this doctrine inspiration. You say, oh, I've been inspired before. I remember I, was, I, I saw this movie and I was just moved. And, no, 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 that's not inspiration I'm talking about. No, inspiration in the Bible. Uh, uh, we're talking about this as the teenagers, weren't we? Uh, inspiration in the Bible, the, the Theonustos, the God breathed, God breathed into men for all scriptures given by inspiration of God and, uh, and is profitable. The, the, the word of God came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The, the spirit of God moved upon men and they penned it down. And so, so when I say things like, oh, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians or you know, the different human authors, what I'm really saying is the Holy Spirit of God through them wrote that. We believe God gave us the Bible. So when, when the Bible is revealing to us the mind of God, what God wants us to know, the Holy Spirit's the divine author, but he's also the divine interpreter to illuminate us to the truths that God has for us, and therefore he gives us the mind of God. You and I as believers are in a very privileged position to receive the mind of God. Are we all right this morning? That is an awesome thing. That is an awesome thought. You and I get to experience this mystery, the thing that goes over the prince's heads, the things that goes over the rulers of this world, the things that, that, that people that think they, they know better than an all-knowing God. So why don't we read it more? Why aren't we more passionate to learn it and to study it? So Paul says to them, he says, we're going to go into some deep things, but only to those that are spiritually mature, only to those who, are, who can handle it. If you're a baby in your thinking, you're not going to get this. By the way, it's interesting because even the Spirit of God, as it teaches us, He knows what we can handle. You know, sometimes we're just not getting it. And it's amazing how, no matter how old of a Christian you are or young of a Christian you are, we all go to the same source. We don't graduate and be like, all right, I'm now ready for the 10th grade Bible and the 11th grade Bible. No, it's the same book. And he says, all right, I got some milk for you right here, same source. I've got some more meat for you. I've got some kind of in-between for you right here. And God starts dishing it out. And then we come back at it again as we've grown a little bit. And you ever come across this? I never saw that before. I've read that story a hundred times, and all of a sudden, look at that detail that just leaped out at me. You know, we're going through the book of Esther, and uh, one of those happened a while back for me. Uh, the, the last phrase, or the last uh, 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 verse in, uh, in chapter 8, it, it says, many in the kingdom became Jews. Whoa! It wasn't just that the Jews got sa- you know, were saved, spared from death, but a bunch of people converted. <laughs> Like, whoa, how'd I miss that? The Spirit of God teaches the deep things of God and then it communicates to us. Number two, the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God. You and I do not. The Holy Spirit knows the mind of God, but you and I do not. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us the mind of God. Don't presume to know what God thinks outside of what the Holy Spirit reveals. There are a lot of people that presume to speak for God today. 
Have you noticed that, the rise of that? God has said. <clears throat> you guys remember in the 90s when the, the, the WWJD fad, right? What would Jesus do, those bracelets and everything? So the founder of that lives in a $5.5 million mansion. I wonder if Jesus would do that. You know, it's funny, you know, how so many things in Christianity can become a gimmick, can become a, uh, you know, this will make some money. Uh, I heard a pastor talking about there was a seminars when he was new into the ministry, and he said uh, uh, they did these seminars on how to increase your church's finances and, and, uh, and be able to organize to build, build big, bigger buildings and all this kind of stuff. And he said he went there, he paid the, the $250 or whatever it was for the week-long seminar, and he said he, said he figured out how to make money for the, or earn money for the ministry. He said, have a seminar on how to make money for the ministry. <laughs> And you'll make the money for the ministry. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's so many things out there, right? And, uh, and you know, but, but the whole premise of the what would Jesus do thing is, is this idea to invent something in your mind that you think Jesus would do, and then you do that thing. Um, and, uh, you know, and, 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 and what it does is it has a faulty premise, it's not what would Jesus do and then do that. It, that's a man-centered philosophy. It's a, how do I do better? How do I try harder? But rather, the focus needs to be on what did Jesus do? What did Jesus say? And you know what? We have that right here. We can say, what would Jesus do in this situation? No, no, no. What did he do? What did he say? That we should walk in his steps. That's the idea that he went first. He went before us, and we walk in his steps. And so the source has got to be the word of God. We already have what Jesus did. We already have what Jesus said. And uh, we don't have to invent it. We, don't have to, we can rely on God's word itself. So who knows God's thoughts? The Spirit of God does. Verse number 12. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us by God. So there's a Spirit that's been given to us. It's not the Spirit of the world. It's the Spirit of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Why did God give this? To freely give it to us, uh, the, 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 the mind of God. God wants us to know some things about Him. So, so he's saying, as Corinthians, you're not thinking God's thoughts. He did not save you to make you like the world, the spirit of the world. He did not save you uh, for that, but rather to transform your thinking so that what would happen? You'd behave like him. So here's salvation. It's free. Here's the earnest of your salvation, the Holy Spirit of God. It's free. Uh, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, the Bible says he's none of his. So if you're saved today, uh, you have the spirit of God in you. So why did God give us the Holy Spirit? Again, verse 12, the latter part there. But the spirit, which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. The Holy Spirit's job is to take what God thinks and make it understandable to us. He is the divine author, but He's also the divine interpreter. God has revealed to us truth. The Holy Spirit uh, uh, knows the mind of God. You and I don't. Thirdly, God has given believers the Holy Spirit that we might know the mind of God. Verse number 13. So how can we know the mind of God? What things, the things that are of the mind of God, uh, what things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth. Notice the emphasis he's been placing on this over and over again. Not worldly wisdom, not world, words of man's wisdom, but that which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Fourth statement, God has given us his word in order that, he might, uh, that his mind might be properly understood. 
the Spirit's given and the Spirit interprets the Word. God gave us His Word. By the way, we need something concrete. When the Bible tells us to test the Spirit, try the Spirit, the Bible talks about discernment, talks about understanding these things, which we'll look at in just a minute. But we need to have something to go back to and say, what has God said? What has God given to me? And then He's given us the Spirit of God that says, here's how you understand it. Here's how you apply it. Are we all right so far? Sometimes we get a little uncomfortable when we start talking about the Holy Spirit because it is kind of the intangible. intangible. It's kind of the, the, the it's, it seems less concrete than, than, well, thus saith the Lord right here, thus saith the Lord right here. And understand something, that the Spirit of God will always be in conjunction with the Word of God. They will never contradict. They'll never go against each other. So we, by faith, we look at it and say, God, I'm, I'm missing something here. I need understanding. I need wisdom. And we've been comparing spiritual with spiritual so here, here's the Spirit searching the deep things of God, and He tells us those things uh, with His Spirit. How does God tell us these things? In a dream? You know, I had this vision last night. Is that how God tells us? Um, I, would, I would say in this dispensation we're in today, no. The, God has given us what He wants us to have in His Word. It's something that is tangible. It's something that is testable. It's something that is concrete. Gives us his word and he helps us understand his word. He interprets it for our lives, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, comparing words with words and thoughts with thoughts. And, and, and now we're getting the mind of God as, we, as we're looking. Even, even Paul in this passage, he says, he says, for it is written. And you start seeing these, these cross references and just like was prophesied and here's now it's coming to true. And, and we're going back and forth comparing these things. Because we understand, again, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for us. So I know a secret. Verse number 14. But, so he's going to contrast, talking about um, uh, the things of God. We're not speaking with, the, with man's wisdom and so forth. Verse number 14. But the natural man. Oh, who's that? We're introduced to a new person. The natural man. The natural person is the unsaved man. The unsaved man. The natural man receiving not the things of the Spirit of God. And so... Uh, um, you know, understand something. Man is a trichotomy. We're, we're made in God's image. God's a three-part. We're a three-part. The Bible talks about, uh, and God saved your body, soul, and spirit unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and when you and I are saved, or when you, you and I are born, rather, we're born with a dead part of ourselves. You say, what are you talking about? Colossians 2 says, ye who were dead in trespasses and sins, hath he quickened together with him, made him alive. Now, before you got saved, were you alive? Were you breathing? Were you thinking? Were you behaving? Of course you were. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they said, the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And they went on to live several hundred more years. Was God a liar? Something died in the garden that day. And when Jesus Christ came, the second Adam, to make it right, the Bible says, you as he quickened together with him. What quickened in me? It's the spirit that quickeneth. He makes us alive. He resurrects the spirit within us. So the natural man is dead spiritually. He's dead. So he can't understand. He's got no communication with the spirit of God. There's no way of teaching him. He's the natural man. Can a natural man truly study the Bible? He can like a textbook, but he does not have the divine help of the Holy Spirit of God. And unfortunately, many of them are filling our um, seminaries today. You say, why would you say such a statement? Because they're teaching our young men to question the Word of God. That's what's coming out of seminary many times. He can study all he wants, but he's never going to get to know it with the help of the divine author. 
The Spirit is the one that illuminates, not our own understanding. Notice that's exactly what it says. Which things, uh, I'm sorry, uh, verse 14, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Can you think of anything more boring? They're foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. Why? This is an interesting statement. Because they are spiritually discerned. Let me know what discerned means. It means they're learned, they're studied. Their natural man has studied these spiritual things. Therefore, they cannot know them because the Spirit is not in them to teach them. They came to their own conclusions on their own. Hey, they studied, but they missed it. They're spiritually discerned. They, they, they've missed it altogether. Number five, unsaved people cannot understand accurately the Word of God. Accurately, the Word of God. Look at verse number 15. But he that is spiritual, now we're talking about the saved person, judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Now, this is interesting. Remember, this church was thinking more like the Corinth around them, the Christ within them. They were taking on the philosophies of the world and looking around. And so it says this spiritual man, this saved man, what does he do? He judges all things. Now, judging does not mean like we, we tend to use it today, right? Um, uh, judging means this. It means, uh, uh, literally, it means to sift, um, uh, to sort out things, to examine something, right? I'm sorting it out. I'm, I'm examining this thing. So what does it say? He examines, he's studying, all. he judges all things. And notice this, yet he is judged of no man. A saved person that the Spirit of God, is, uh, that has the Spirit of God in him while he's reading the Word of God, studying and growing, uh, he's able to sort out some things. You begin to see things differently, you begin to look at things like, you know, I'm going through a tough time, but I know that God works all things together for good. I know that I'm going through a difficult time, but, uh, but you know, the, the, this light affliction was just but for a moment. It's not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. I, I know that person offended me and hurt me, but I know God would have me to forgive and to love. And we begin to see things, life's events differently through the lens of Scripture. And, and you know what happens when you begin to sort things out? Others don't get you. They don't get you. Notice what it says. He is judge of no man. The same word there, as they study you, as they try to sort you out, they don't get it. Why, was, why, why, why did he forgive that coworker that talked to him so mean like that? Why, why, did he, why does he seem so loving? Why does he pray over his meal? Why does, you know, and then they're looking at you and they're trying to judge you, but he's really judged. He's not understood of any man. They don't get him. Why? Because he's, he's the spiritual man and he's judging all things. He's sorting them out through Scripture. You know, why, why? Why do we get to this place? Because you and I are privy to more information than they are. I know a secret. I've said this before. If I wasn't saved, I'd be, I'd be panicking watching the news. I'd be worried. I'd be responding to the pandemic like many have been. I'd be afraid. I'd be terrified. You know what, for me, what's the worst that can happen? I get an upgrade. That's, that's my mindset. Why? Because I'm privy to some information that others aren't. I know a secret, and this secret empowers me. This secret gives me an expected end. I can look beyond what's going on here. I can see the mind of God. I can see, by the way, I can see the end of the book. I'm privy to some information, amen? I know some things. But, when I, but, but wait, 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 what's interesting is this. You know, we have so many people that talk about how bad the world is and how everything's falling apart and everything, but you know what's interesting? The world's just doing what the Bible says the world would do. 
What baffles me is not what the world is doing. What baffles me is what Christians are doing that they shouldn't be when they're acting more like the Corinth around them than the Christ that's in them. That's what starts to baffle me because we've now separated, we've removed ourselves from walking in light of the mind of God. And now we're way over here, we're way over here. But he's not judged of any man. Verse number 16. So I know a secret. And you and I, we've got the lens. Lastly, you get it, but no one else gets you. I started alluding to that. You get it, but no one else gets you. Last part of uh, 15, he himself is the judge of no man. In your workplace, they can't figure out, why is he so nice? Why is he so forgiving? Verse number 16, for who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Excuse me, but we have the mind of Christ. You know why they don't get why you live for God? They don't get the way you live for God? It's because they don't get Him. Who has known the mind of the Lord? They don't get Him. By the way, if, if you live a life where people look at you and they completely understand you, then you might not be living the Christian life to the potential it should be lived. If people don't scratch their head from time to time and look at you and say, it doesn't really work that way. He's kind of got some, he's a little bit different. He's a little bit off. Why? Because that's what they said with Jesus. I like what Leonard Ravenhill pointed out years ago. He said this, how is it that the world cannot get along with the holiest man that ever lived, and yet they get along with you and me? His conclusion was, are we, are we just that compromised? And I'm not saying we should go around and start problems and cause problems, but we should at least cause lots of people to scratch their head a bit. You're going through this trial and you're joyful. You're going through this trial and you're, everything's still good. I don't get you. Yeah, that's the point. The Bible said you wouldn't get me. Why? Because you don't get him. You don't understand him. I know a secret that you don't know. But boy, I'd love you to know it. And you see, that is the lens. That is what motivates me. And then the last part of verse 16 is kind of the summary. But we have the mind of Christ. You get, we get it. There's the mystery. That's what's been real. You and I have access. We have the mind of Christ. What a blessing. We can know the thoughts of God. You know, we can actually make judgments, the proper use of the word here, that would say, I don't think God would have me do that. Or I think God would have me do that. Why? What do you have to base that on? He's given me his mind. He's given me his thoughts. And as I go through and I study it, I say, wow, these are some, some real concrete conclusions I can come to in my life. And the Holy Spirit of God is within me saying, cheering me on, saying, yep, that's right. You keep going, you do that. He's the divine comforter and he's going to comfort me as I try to live for God and I'm going forward in this thing. So he says, we have the mind of Christ. Listen, there's coming a day when all sorrows will be over. As we just sung about this morning, the passing of life, uh, the, 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 the difficulties and the sorrows and the pains of this life will be gone. And we'll be so glad we acted more like Christ than like Corinth. See, I know a secret and so do you. Let's you and I live like we know this secret. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer.